Everybody say timing. Timing is everything. You know, there's comedic timing. There's a time and a place. There's a season. And on Friday night, I talked about seeds. And I talked about out of uh, Genesis chapter 8, it says, as long as the earth remains, there'll be seed time and harvest, cold and hot, summer and winter. But what I want to get over to you about timing is that this is our time. And I've heard a lot about generations. I've heard a lot about, I was a youth pastor. I, w I went through the youth seasons of my life. I anticipate all the different stages and seasons like everybody else. We're all, you know, moving and, and transitioning from glory to glory, from faith to faith. So I feel like we need to understand the definition for a generation is all the people that are alive at the same time, right? So that's what we're talking about right now. This is our time. This is our generation. This is our moment. And some of this is painfully obvious, but that's what I'm assigned to do is, is stir up your sincere minds by way of reminder and restate the obvious. But because the enemy is working overtime to undermine our sensibilities and get us distracted and get us down, and Jesus is here as the glory and the lifter of our head, he's the one that's blowing a trumpet. He's the one that's giving us distinct understanding today. He has a plan. And as we look to him as the head of the church, and we're by design designed to know his voice and follow him and dig into the word of God as a lamp to our feet, he's going to show us what to do in our particular time. He's going to show us how to live. He's going to show us how to respond to situations, what to pray about, what is God's will concerning certain things. For example, I believe Jesus is the Lord that saves and he desires no one to perish but all to have everlasting life. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That means, you know what that means? That each and every one of us has opportunity to repent and to give our lives to Jesus and enter into his kingdom. It's a gift. Salvation is a gift. I also believe that on the cross, Jesus was scourged and pierced in his side and in his hands, wore a crown of thorns so that he would take the curse that fell on humanity because of sin. And he would then also give us eternal life and by his wounds, we are healed. And we have medical people and doctors in the church right now who have understood this. They went and studied for like 25 years and they did all those crazy shifts. I don't know how come they make doctors do 12, 14 hour shifts. I don't know. It's like, come on, can't you let them get a rest? You know, you're in the ER and somebody's exhausted. It's like, go take a nap and then come help me. You know what I mean? But who signs up for that? They do. And then I've seen doctors, even atheistic type doctors, willing to submit to prayer. They've even now offered training in certain aspects. I've been told this, not just bedside manner training, but even sensitivity to people's faith training. Because they're seeing, even if they don't believe in God, they're seeing that that hope and that positivity makes a difference. Well, we know it's not just hope and positivity. It's substantial that, in fact, by Jesus' stripes, we are healed. So we take that tenaciously today. We pray that over our kids. We pray that over our bodies. Put your hand on your body. Say, by his stripes, I am healed. I pray healing on your body. I pray you live out your days. I pray you stay fresh. I pray you stay sharp. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 8 and 9. I want to talk to you about something Paul the Apostle said. I feel, hallelujah. This is a word for today about timing, about timing. And... Um, Paul said to the people of Corinth, he said, hey, he wrote in his letter, he said, 
I want you to know I'm going to remain in Ephesus until Pentecost. Now, this is, this is really succinct. But if you're not careful, you'll just look at it like an imprint of history with a guy from the stained glass windows and the gold-edged book, and you'll think, well, okay, keep, let's keep going. As it was then, so it is now in terms of God never changing. As the mission was then, so the mission is now. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. As the identity was then, so the identity is now. That Jesus said, I'm the light of the world and the salt of the earth. And then he turned to his disciples and said, guess what? Hey, you're the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. And Paul said later on, he identified that we, if you're in Christ, you're a new creation and that you have a couple of things that happen to you significantly. You become a brand new creation, brand new. The old things pass away, new things come. Who's glad about that? That's awesome. Well, we love new things, but, uh, but all these things are of God, and, he, and he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. If more Christians would catch this, if more of us would see this and incorporate this in our identity, collectively and as individuals, we'll see greater results. We'll see more signs and wonders follow. We'll see more answers to prayer. We'll see more lives changed. We'll see more people lifted. We'll see more joy exchanged. The world needs this. The world's lost. It's getting dark. And there's such sophistication with the conveyance of darkness. We need to get honed in on the fact that Jesus is the light of the world, and he calls us to be the light of the world. We're a city set on a hill, the Bible says, cannot be hidden. The ministry of reconciliation is the opposite of dismissive. It's the opposite of being marginalized. It's the opposite of just being isolated. It tears down walls and it extends a hand. It builds bridges. I've always dreamt of this as a possibility that would show up in our homes, in our relationships with our children, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, in our nation. My brother and I were raised near, and the Watts riots broke out when we were kids near our street. We saw a lot of stuff. I had my own school canceled for two weeks because of racial tension. I saw a lot of stuff from the early times of the 60s throughout, and I saw some beautiful changes. And now I see the enemy trying to push things back. Not so among us. Not so among us. And I'll tell you, we're not invited into a culture war. We're invited to cultivate our own life in order to change the culture. To cultivate our own life. Cultivate the characteristics of the kingdom of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Cultivate kindness. Cultivate uh, mercy. Cultivate awareness. Lift up your eyes. Your redemption draws nigh. Opportunities are knocking, are about to knock. Uh, don't let them pass you. Get sensitized. Be ready. I feel like I'm called to herald these things and prepare you to get you ready. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight is what John the Baptist urged in his generation. And so here we are in this moment. Oh, here we are in this moment. We can cultivate our life, cultivate the fruit of the spirit. Hosea chapter 10, it talks about break up the fallow ground. Sow with a view to righteousness, reap in accordance with kindness, break up the fallow ground. He's about ready to rain righteousness upon you. This is what Charles Finney, the evangelist, used as his cornerstone text in all the years he traveled through the United States, particularly the East Coast, preaching the gospel, rousing people out of religious formalism, rousing people out of just darkness and lethargy, bringing people into God's kingdom. It was a beautiful season. 
It was called The Great Awakening. It was a wonderful moment. I love being in this church because uh, Melvin has been farming this field that we're buying for so many decades. He's in his 80s now. He's still farming. He just farmed it this last season. And then Walter, our neighbor down the street, who actually we helped clean up his house after the flood of 93, he still hops up on his tractor in his 80s. The Rombachs were our wonderful friends over there. They, I guess, just recently closed after since the 1920s. And they, they had the, the pumpkin patch and so forth. I love that we're planted in this fertile valley and that even in this high-tech 2018 era, we still have agriculture all around us. Because there's so much in the word of God about the sower sows the word and lift up your eyes and see the fields are white to harvest. I'm telling you, the guys you work with next to you that aren't even given an indication that they're interested in your gentle, kind silence and your work and your smile and you showing up, they want to know what makes you tick. I have a neighbor, he's, I'm, I'm an atheist, I don't believe in that stuff, and, you know, and I just keep praying for him. I just go past it. It's like I'm undaunted. Because I have confidence in the gospel. The gospel is the power of God to salvation to everyone that believes. The Bible says in 1 Peter, we are born again, not of corruptible seed, which perishes, but of the incorruptible seed of the word of God. God's word's a mighty. God's word's powerful. And, and so Paul gives us the word here in 1 Corinthians 16, 8. I'm going to stay in Ephesus until Pentecost. That's I as Paul I'm going to stay here. There's a, that, that implies a sense of place. He's got a locality. Everything has to start with a locality. They said, can anything good come from Nazareth? Jesus was born in Bethlehem, and he came out of Nazareth and in a certain confine, in a certain context, and then he busted out. And for a period of time, he did what he was supposed to do, died on the cross, rose again. He said, these works and greater works shall you do because I go to be with the Father. And the Bible says something interesting. It says, Jesus at the proper time, died for the ungodly. Jesus' timing was perfect. Jesus' timing was impeccable. Our times are in God's hands. And the Bible says that we're to make the most of our time because the days are evil. So here we are. This is a good thing to do with our time right now. And I know it's Family Sunday, so you got, you've heard it all. Your kids are coloring or they're taking a nap or they're listening to me or whatever. Some of them that color and take a nap are actually listening to me because they bring the notes and the last service, somebody drew all kind of a picture of, of a bunch of angels fighting the devil and stuff. It was awesome. I thought, wow, I didn't preach any of that, but that's what the kid got out of it. <laughs> Had a whole kind of end-time war in the heavenlies. It's like, that's cool. Little bitty little kid. I thought, that's awesome. He wouldn't have got that if he hadn't come to church. And so look, in the calling of Paul the Apostle, this is so fascinating. He says, a great door of effective service has opened to me. Verse, verse 9 is so interesting to me. Let's, let's read this out loud, can we, together? For a wide door of effective service has opened to me. Say that again. For a wide door of effective service has opened to me. Say it one more time. For a wide door of effective service has opened to me. And then it says there are many adversaries. Now that last part is just a realism. We live in a fallen world. The devil is a fallen being, and he's evil, and he has a temporary status. But the Bible says we have authority over him, and he's under our feet. Though he's called the small g God of this world, uh, God has given us authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. That's why we pray. But listen, 
A great door of effective service is a possibility. Okay, let's just break this down logically. Historically, this was the case for the Apostle Paul. And he was called, and I want, to, I want you to look just quickly, uh, highlighting some aspects of the calling on the life of Paul. And I want to draw parallels. I'm just unashamedly going to show you. I mean, we're not in the category of the Apostle Paul. He was a writer of scriptures and so forth. But on the other hand, we are called to similarities of duty to impact the world we live in. So just really quick, just for time, the first reference of this extraordinary man appears in Acts chapter 7, verse 58, where the deacon Stephen has stood up and started summing up the biblical history from Moses to David and Solomon throughout the ages, and he confronts the men present, and he says, you who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart, you know, you're always resisting the Holy Spirit. He said that you're hard-hearted and your ears are closed and you're always resisting the Holy Spirit and you're doing just as the fathers did. And this made those guys boil and they picked up stones to stone him. And the scripture teaches that this is where Saul of Tarsus comes in. At this point, they laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. Mean, harsh. Later on, Paul would say that he was the chief of sinners. He would tell everybody to the world, man, if God could save me, he could save anybody. And he was just cruel. One interesting caveat here, when I look at this, I think about people that are harsh in my generation, that are dismissive of the gospel, that are overbearing with their opinion and so forth, and I think, hey, with God, all things are possible. Paul was prominent. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Benjamite Jew. He was a Roman citizen. He, he was highly educated, and therefore, I'm assuming he had experienced wealth, uh, natural wealth through his life additionally to be able to have those perks. And the Bible says it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. But you know what? With God, all things are possible. So this guy was hard-hearted. These guys were hard-hearted. And he hears Stephen preach this message and they stoned him. Stephen stands up and he preaches and Jesus gives a standing ovation to our brother Stephen. And the word of God spreads and Paul holds it in contempt it even furthers Paul's adamant desire to stop and exterminate and hinder this thing. So he secures permission from the leadership to march to Damascus, and he's going in there bullying his way to shut this thing down. He's trying to stop it before it starts. He is, and he said, concerning zeal, I persecuted the church. This guy was harsh. I love Paul. I feel like he's my friend. From all the years I've read the epistles of Paul and read the travels and his missionary journeys in Acts. But I don't think I would have enjoyed this Paul. I think this guy was as mean as the most bullying, harsh. Sometimes you look in people's eyes and you could just tell there's rage there. Let me gather the coats so you could stone this man. It's, it's so harsh. Cursing. He starts out, Acts chapter 9, verse 1. He's breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. But then while he's on the road to Damascus, people prayed. Seed was sown through Stephen's preaching. I'm convinced that there were aspects that we can look in that just they're right there on the surface, like gold nuggets on the surface. In the California gold rush, they sometimes just found gold on the surface. They had to dig, but there were some nuggets up on top. Here are some of them. He heard Stephen's message. The disciples had heard that pray for those who despitefully use you. 
In the last service, a woman with tears in her eyes said, I think this message really helped me. My daughter's been dealing with some mean bullying, and I was, I've been talking about don't not, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good, and uh, pray for those who despitefully use you. That's what Jesus taught. Leave room for the wrath of God. So I'm convinced these Christians that were being hurt by Saul of Tarsus, I'm convinced they prayed because that's what was fresh on the agenda that Jesus had taught the early church. So I think there were a couple of things going. People had prayed for Saul of Tarsus. The seed was sown from that message through Stephen. So he's on his way on the road to Damascus to try to stop this great movement. And the Lord arrests him in his tracks. He falls to the ground. Light shines. He says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He said, who are you? He says, I'm Jesus whom you are persecuting. His eyes scale up. Ananias is reluctant. Ananias is saying, God, wait, whoa. You want me to pray for who? Don't you understand? So he had to overcome some of that. He said, hey, he's a chosen instrument of mine. This is the calling. In Acts chapter 9, verse 15, he is a chosen instrument of mine. He said, go, for he's a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before three, three groups. Gentiles, everybody say Gentiles. Kings, everybody say kings. And the sons of Israel, say the sons of Israel. He kept trying to invert it and get, and he would just, he was mainly called to the Gentiles. So here he is, 1 Corinthians 16, a great door of effective service is open to me. There's a window here with all these Diana worshipers. There's a window here. There's a moment here. There's a platform opening. There's a door opening up. And I have, I've got to be in this place for this time. And I think about, Esther chapter 4, Esther, Queen Esther, when Haman, this evil anti-Semite, wanted to exterminate all the Jewish line in the world, had a sophisticated plan that occasionally rears up, and thank God it never works. It's because salvation comes through the Jews, and the devil hates it. That's why that people group gets hassled as it has, but yet... Hallelujah for God's preserving grace and power. Hallelujah. Hallelujah for that. Thank you, Jesus, for that. And God takes a little girl named Esther who wins a beauty contest, who soaks in oil of oule for a year. She, gets on, she puts on those individual eyelashes, gets highlights, gets a bump it, comes walking in with some spanks on, catches the eye of the king, they get married, and God plants her in the deal. And as her cousin Mordecai said, you've been brought into the kingdom for such a time as this. Such a time as this. Dr. Martin Luther King, I feel, emerged during a time that things needed to be righted concerning treatment of others. And he was, said, I went up on the mountaintop and I have a dream. And it didn't change everything, but it, it was, he had cultivated his heart in certain areas in his life in order that he could impact culture. I know there's a lot of cultures shaping things, trying to trend away from the word of God and so forth. And there's a complete difference in those agendas than other agendas. Some are good agendas. Some are marry good ideas into the wrong things. And that's why we need to learn the difference between evil and evil and good and good. The Bible says in the end times, people will be calling evil good and good evil. And that's why it's good to have the word of God as a plumb line that comes in. You hold up a plumb line and it works with gravity to show you where things aren't straight. So the word of God in the culture, you pick it up and it brings straightness to our thinking. Aren't you grateful for that? Otherwise, there's so many variables pulling and torquing on our thinking. Kids, keep your eyes on Jesus. 
Parents, train up your children in the way they should go. When they're old, they'll not depart from the way. We must not lose a generation. We must boldly declare in loving, not heavy-handed, but gracious terms, because the enemy is vying for our kids. But greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And so when Paul rolled into Corinth, and he tells them that he's going to stay in Ephesus, and they have all this Diana worship, which is now gone, but Jesus has been expressed and brought in. And now 2,000 years later, people keep picking up the drumbeat and the rhythm of the truth of the gospel. I'm so thankful the Lord Jesus planted us in Chesterfield Valley. I came into this thing just having, paying so much attention. God, I do not want to manufacture anything of my own, and my own opinion. God, I, I had to make sure of my calling. I, I mean, I took pains with it for years. I probably was a late bloomer because of it. And, and I probably mixed in some reluctance in it just because I just did not want to step way out and do something that I thought, God bless my plans. I was crying out, fasting, praying. When we started this church, it was fasting, 21 days of fasting, then another 12 days of fasting, praying, seeking God in the increments and transitions of time to make sure we are where we, we are doing what we're supposed to be doing. We're where we need to be when we need to be there and making sure Jesus is central and the Holy Spirit is guiding us and it's on the word. Can I hear an amen? amen. So here's where we're at. Saul gets up, Ananias lays hands on him. He gets filled with the Holy Spirit. The scales fall off and he's going to reach the Gentiles, the kings and the sons of Israel. Now he gets commissioned, explained to him, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, he has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then on go the stages. Paul is called and he goes and there are different stages. Can we just look at this for a minute? We're called, wonderful timing, brought into the kingdom for such a time as this. Take a deep breath and say timing, timing. Timing's everything. Timing's important. Something I want you to know, that um, there's a time and a place for everything and a time for every event under heaven. And he's made everything beautiful in its time. There's seed time and there's harvest. I love living in, a, in the heartland where we have the defined seasons. And I watch even the farmers who take their equipment during the winter months and they clean them off and they change the wheels and they get them oiled up and they change the tires and so forth. They sharpen their, all their different equipment and implements and then they're anticipating, and then they go out and sow, they, they plow the land, and then they go out and sow the, the seed, and then they irrigate or whatever they have to do. They manage the, the, the land, and then they cultivate it, and then there's a moment called harvest, and they put in the sickle, and then they draw in, and then they have, the earth has produced the fruit. And very similarly, there is seed time, and there's harvest, and there, there are seasons in our lives. There's seasons in our lives. This will help us to relax a little bit and enjoy the journey. This will help us to gain a little bit of confidence and not have quarter-life, mid-life, uh, three-quarter-life, full-life crises all the time where we're flipping out, uh, predictably flipping out all the time, discontent, unhappy. The Bible says godliness is a means of great gain when it's accompanied with contentment. And we need to learn that to be ready in season and out of season. Just being aware that there's out of season, but yet we're supposed to be ready and out of season means we should make the most of all these seasons. And I've actually learned that in the in-between times, between real surges of activity, 
require a lot of energy and you got to run to catch up. I have become very grateful with the lulls because I know the lulls mean God wants us to rest and prepare. But we don't sleep during harvest. God wants us to always live ready, not hyped up, not wound up like a rubber band on one of those little uh, balsa wood uh, prop things where you just bound up. You know, I used to always wind those things up and I thought I'm just going to wind it up till the knots just bunch up into knots so I can just fly forever, you know. I'm going to send this all the way to Omaha, you know, and it's like, no. They would usually go, bam, you know, so you just got to want, I, I don't want you to be wound up, but I don't want you to just be, a rubber band is no good unless you get it out of the drawer and stretch it. So we want to wind up and stretch a little bit and be prepared. Everybody say, be prepared. I was a Boy Scout. Be prepared was the Judeo-Christian theme that for a period of time crept into that organization. Remember when the YMCA was Young Men's Christian Association? Now it's just the Y. And, uh, you know, it, the, that's the trend away from God that happens with stuff that we must fight to not let happen. We got to keep drawing near to God and loving Jesus with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, staying in the book. Dig deep in the book. Dig deep. Here's the truth. Paul had stages. Let me show you these verses really quick uh, before we finish. Acts chapter 12, verse 24 and 25. Here's, here's stage one. I think there are things that happen in stages. Paul gets called by God and he gets prepared. And then uh, he goes out and he, he begins to minister. And in Acts chapter 12, it says, and the word of the Lord continued to grow and to be multiplied. Does that appeal to you? The word of the Lord continued to grow and to be multiplied. That means revival. That means harvest. That means an emphasis on the truth in a world that is, has veered away, full of idolatry. And here the light is shining. And Barnabas and Saul, it says in verse 25, returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their mission, taking along with them John, who was also called Mark. Everybody say, stage one fulfilled. Okay, then you go right into the next chapter, and there's a prayer time and another launching. In Acts chapter 13, they were gathered for prayer, they had been ministering to the Lord and fasting in verse 2, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I had called them. And then they fasted and prayed. They laid their hands on them. They sent them on their way. Everybody say stage two. Then you flip the page and you go to Acts chapter 14. And this is I'm dedicating to the kids and parents because there are seasons. There are stages. Thank God for your elementary school period. Thank God for your junior high period. Thank God for the high school period. Thank God for extended education. Thank God for preparation. Hallelujah. I think as we prepare and as we develop, we're basically saying to God this one thing, God, I know you've given me gifts and I want to develop and I want to, my gift to you is to give back a commitment to what you've given me. That whatever I put my hand to will prosper. And God is looking for people. The harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. And he, and he wants us to pray, labor in prayer. He wants us to share the gospel. I'm big on this. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5, preach the word, be instant in season and out of season. He said, fulfill the work, do the work of the evangelist, fulfill your ministry. And he said, uh, Paul said, I'm getting ahead of myself, but the mission accomplished was, he said, I, I fought the good fight of faith. I finished my course. I kept the faith. And there's laid up for me a crown. How many of you want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant? I have a passion for that. I have a passion for that for you. And my goal is to preach with conviction, to present this before you, to push aside the dark clouds, 
and allow the light of God to pierce in and, and alight and bring revelation to you as to things pertaining to your footprint, your geographic footprint, your embeddedness into the world you're in, your sphere of influence. Like Esther, you have literally been brought into the kingdom for such a time as this. Dust off this concept. Live God's dream. You're a carrier of the presence of God. You're the head and not the tail. Whatever you do prospers. What signs and wonders follow you. When you pray, you believe you receive. He's given you authority of the basis of faith in the name of Jesus. Mountains have to move. You may not feel like it. You may not always see it confirmed, but I'm telling you, some of you are so in tears, you're plowing concrete in life. You might have been the first Christian in your family. You plow and sow in tears. And inevitably, listen, there was an elegant couple here who served God from the, they met in the 1920s. He was an usher and she was in the choir over in Granite City in a spirit-filled church. And he asked her out on a date and they were, they were married for over 65 years. They landed here and they spoke very highly of you and of this church, of the, the attitude of love and the openness to the Holy Spirit and his gifts and so forth. I remember his grandchild, the girl, got saved at an altar call, and he came up, this elegant gentleman, always dressed just with Sunday best and had great posture, great committed work ethic, and succeeded in life. And he, he said to me, I've been waiting for this and praying for this for 35 years. And she got, she's really serious about God. She's now a mother, and her son is serious about God. Well, then he passed in his 90s. I visited him in the hospital, and it was like, Three different episodes. Every, he almost he threatened to die three different days. He never did die in the hospital. He died at home. But he, one day, it was all praise and worship. He had his hands up, and he was singing praises to God. I went in there, and it was just holy. It was like being in the upper room in heaven. And then one day, he was evangelizing. People had flown in to visit him, and the, you know this elderly man and flew in from places like California, and he was, I was hearing him over and over instruct everybody. Now, you need, here's how you ask Jesus in your heart. He was being evangelistic like Billy Graham. One day, he was just, one day was praying in the spirit. He prayed in the spirit. And then one day his doctor walked into the hospital, got over and knelt on the edge of his bed and held his hands and wept, thanking him he got to be his doctor and he got to know him. I was over in the corner crying my eyes out. My dad had just died, so they thought I was overly sensitive about death. I said, no, no, I, I do miss my dad, but this is separate. This is so holy. I wasn't just emotional because my dad died. I was touched by a person bearing the message and living the life. Well, then he went home, ate birthday cake with his sweetheart and died that later on. He waited for her birthday. That, he threw down the romance level. One time he bought flowers for her in church and it made all this guys like chopped liver. But then he holds out for her birthday. They wanted to go be with the Lord at the same time. They wanted to be raptured together. Who wouldn't? And they were so coupled well, then she spends nine, eight, nine hours a day praying for about two years. And I felt so grateful for the impact she had and the lingering impact she had on us as a church body, me as a pastor. You, that stuff is more precious than gold. It, it bears weighty influence in the realm of the spirit. It pushes back darkness and it brings help. That's what you and I are designed for. She begins to pass. She's playing Bill Gaither's gospel music on rotation. And she's just, and her grandson, who was with me when his grandfather died two years before, 
stands at the foot of her bed, talks to me and says, based on how my grandfather and my grandmother died, I'm going to become a Christian. They plowed through concrete. It took time for those kids. They became adults before they really gave their hearts to the Lord. Some of you, you feel like you've been walking this thing out. You've been plowing, sowing in tears, but you're going to reap with joy. Paul sowed seed in places that didn't look like there was any change. In fact, in Ephesus, for two hours, they got up screaming at him. Great is Diana of the Ephesians, trying to resist the breakthrough that was about to happen. We look in our era we're in right now, we got to look with the right set of eyes. We're not in denial. We're not in some sort of idealism. We're not escapists. We're not a subculture. We're the people of God. We're the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there are a lot of us. There are people like us in every time zone singing praises to God all around this planet. It's holy, man. And in this army, we have got a part. And we look at these examples of Paul. A great door of effective service is open to me. And we plant our feet in the ground and say, Lord, I'm trusting you for my opportunities. I'm trusting you for my, that you would sensitize me so I'm instant in season and out of season. I'm ready. Help me to live ready. Everybody say ready. And, and not hype, and not where we're picking, competing, not where we fantasize and get in delusional thinking, which often happens to religious people. This is not like Peter Pan, Never Never Land, where the guys go and hide out in Never Never Land. God, this is not an evacuation situation. God has called us out of darkness to show forth his marvelous light. We're not competing on who's more spiritual than each other, because we all have a part, and it's not wise to compare ourselves among ourselves. Right? And some of you that feel like, I, I'm not the greatest Christian, man. In fact, you know, I just, he, he, and I'm wondering when he's going to stop so I can go get something to eat. <laughs> I love you because I've thought that. <laughs> and he's the hungriest in the crowd. <laughs> Paul came back in Acts chapter 14 and he after he sailed to Antioch, they had done that from that launch, and they uh, were commended to the grace of God for the work they had accomplished. Everybody say accomplishment. Verse 27, and when they had arrived and gathered the church together, they began to report all the things that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. Opened a door of faith to your business sector, to your school system, to your neighbor, to our city, to the bi-state area to North America, from all this generation. We pray for revival in the church, harvest amongst the lost, an outpouring of God that is so sweet and precious that people have to respond to it, that the gospel of Jesus is going forth in so much power. Second Timothy chapter four, I'll finish with this. Chapter four, verse five and seven. But you be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, Fulfill your ministry. And then he goes on, he says, For I am ready, already being poured out as a drink offering. And that verse 7, And the time of my departure has come. So there's a time and a season and a place. So then he goes into this in verse 7. I, say this with me. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. And look at the next verse. He says, There, there is a crown laid up for me. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, 
but also to all who loved his appearing. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 